Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie here on News Radio WINA. I'm Leslie Harris, so happy to have you join us again on this gardening show. Our plant of the week is the Begonia Grandis, which is the perfect share plant. We'll be chatting with Marianne Wilburn of the American Gardener magazine and Garden Rant and her own garden blog, who is going to chat with us about one topic. And then I like got a little distracted and we chatted about a bunch of different things, but they're all good. They include plant marketing, plant sharing, hey, Begonia Grandis, plant sharing, native plants, and lawns. And lastly, our playlist will include how to plan your garden this week and what might be fun for you to listen to at the same time. I hope your weather is getting more fall-like where you are. You know, we have longer slightly cooler nights where we are here in Charlottesville, but there is no rain in the forecast. So unless I take on all the watering it would take to shift more things in my garden, which I'm just not going to do, I'm going to wait for it, which is sad because I have such plans that I've been talking about for weeks here. Let's get some bad news out of the way. You may be tracking that I like bugs and you may wonder why if I like them. I don't know that much about them, but neither you nor I can answer that. So let's move on. Here's a bug that we all need to know about, but none of us will like. Well, it's actually kind of disarmingly cute, but no, we can't like it. You won't like it. It's the spotter and lanternfly, and it has arrived in Albemarle County, where I live. It's a native of China, and it was first spotted, spotted, get it, spotted, uh, in Pens- sorry, in Pennsylvania seven years ago, and then in Virginia three years ago, and it's moving around. And the trouble with this buggy is that it prevents plants from photosynthesizing because it deposits some sort of sticky excretion on the plants, and then that causes mold, and then the plants will die. And it, I mean, it can ravage like entire gardens, like vineyards, like it's, it can be really serious. I'm recording this on August 13th, and I was fiddling around to get some more info, and I saw an article published today. I think it was in um, USA Today. Today. It was about a child who had submitted the spotted lanternfly to the Kansas State Fair. It caused quite a stir. The child who submitted it correctly identified it, but didn't realize what a menace it was, and that it would strike fear into the hearts of all jayhawkers, and that this bug can cause more trouble than the Wicked Witch of the West. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I hear the words Kansas State Fair altogether, I see Frank Morgan rising into the sky just after Toto has escaped Judy Garland's arms and the band's playing and he's muttering, I don't know how to work this thing. So no, if you heard that right, he says, this is a highly irregular procedure. But back to the lantern flies. Could you do the world a favor and go to my blog um, to see a photograph of it or the Google machine so that you will know what they look like? And if you see one, will you please follow these steps? Step one, kill it. Step two, report it. And I'm going to provide a link to people who live around here in Charlottesville um, because it's it's spreading and we want to get on top of this. It's It's really bad. Is there any good news to this? Well, it is kind of cute, but that's like I said, bad news. It's, it's, uh, it's a terrible, terrible bug. So let's replace that with the good news that they are very easy to identify because they have spots all over them. And the second piece of not terrible news is that they go after that other horrible Chinese import, the Ailanthus tree, you know, the, the tree of heaven. Man, those two deserve each other, don't you think? Let's go on to the plant of the week, the begonia grandis. People call it the hardy begonia. And it is 
a perennial, and it's native to China. Oh, gosh, the spotted lanternfly, the ailanthus, and now this. But this isn't invasive, and it won't destroy your garden. Um, it spreads by seeds, maybe, but I think little bits of it survive in my compost pile, just like a coleus or a persicaria mite. It has that fleshy stem thing going on, so bits of it would root in most any place that's moist. I have stands of it that are now, and you know my garden's fairly new, that are sort of a few feet across, and I love it. Very, very easy to edit if it if it gets too out of hand for you, um, and it, but but it's not strong enough to take over other plants. It gets to about one to two feet high and wide, but but I think I have two two stands of it that are, that are like three feet wide. But that's many many plants. It grows only in zones six and seven, so that's a bit of a bummer. Quite a narrow little stripe across the nation. But luckily, you know the way we go, it's kind of a C shape, so it does grow in the Northeast. It goes all the way down to North Carolina, Tennessee, over across the country to Arizona, and then it heads back north, zone six and seven, um, to the Pacific Northwest. It has a pink flower, but Marianne Wilburn, who we talk, we chat about it when I interview her, she talks about the alba, the white form of it. The foliage is good looking. I like it. It's a pale sort of olive green. It's heart shaped going to a pointy, like a pointy heart. I love the foliage as it emerges. It, it emerges late. And so every year I think, wait, what, why do I have this big blank spot? Oh, yeah, I've got my begonia grandis coming. It blooms for me starting at about mid-August, and it goes for over a month on these pendant-like clusters that kind of hover above the plant. Grandis means big or showy, but, you know, this 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 ain't no dahlia. I would describe the flower as more subtle and sophisticated. I don't know why it's grandis, because it's when you see a mass of it, you see the foliage more and then you're like, oh, but wait, there's pink too. And, and there are the flowers. So again, it spreads, but it's not invasive to the point where you're, you're going to hate me if I give you a piece. And I will give you a piece if you come visit me. Love my garden visitors. Um, incredibly easy to edit or share. It's the perfect pass along plant. Soil, it'll take, it'll sit in water. I mean, it's sitting in my stream, but it'll take medium. It, it also grows very well in a dry place that I never water on a hillside. Partial sun all the way down to full shade. Deer will eat it. Sorry. Uh, and good cut flower. Gosh, I'm not sure. I should try it. I think I value the foliage more, but the flowers are pretty. So that's the Begonia Grandis. And this is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And coming up, we're going to talk to Marianne Wilburn about her garden writing. Well, about tons of things because she writes about a ton of things. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie, broadcasting on News Radio WINA. I'm Leslie Harris, and we're talking with garden writer Marianne Wilburn about types of plants, sort of. Marianne wrote an article in The American Gardener that got my attention this summer, and I thought I wanted to get her on the show just for that topic, which was sort of types of plants. The name of the article was In Defense of Plants Without Press. But as soon as I started figuring out more about Marianne, I was like, okay, we're not just sticking to that. We got we to gotta go around and, and talk about a bunch of things because she has a lot to say. She's a columnist for the magazine that goes with the American Horticultural Society, which is called The American Gardener. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Leslie. I'm very glad to talk with you. And you write for them every month in a kind of a kind of a new format, a, a column that has some opinion, your opinion. Yes, it does. It's a it's a new thing for the American Gardener. And it's the magazine is bi-monthly, so it's six issues a year, which gives me a little bit of breathing room between <laughs> between <laughs> topics. But it allows me to explore topics perhaps from another angle uh, that may not be considered by by people, or we tend to get into these 
uh, sort of ideas, hive mind group think about certain things. And the more you do it, it becomes like a, a snowball effect and everybody's glomming on. But I wanted to sort of come out of that a little bit and say, hey, what about this? What about thinking about it this way? And and maybe stir up some discussion and uh, and just stir up some minds a little bit about it. So it's it's a series. I'm I'm just super proud proud and happy that they ran with. Um, thank very huge thanks to David Ellis for doing that at the American Gardener because uh, it's it it the buck stops with the editor, right? Sure, it sure <laughs> does. And and as we were discussing before I hit record, I mean that that's been a magazine that I've looked at for years, and it's it's not expansive in opinions. It's got a lot of facts in it. And so it's really nice to hear somebody speaking out for, well, things that are really kind of short on articulation, such as lawns, you know, they can't talk for themselves. You're doing it. Uh, plants, uh, you know, and we'll talk more about your articles, but I think it's great that you, you can become their voice and you can also become a voice for, mm, I don't know, sort of the middle of the road sometimes, or let's rethink that. I, I mean, you're sort of a centrist politician in the, in the politics of gardening. And I like, I guess, I oh that. yeah, careful. I don't want to get any politics involved in this. Okay. No, no <laughs> politics, but I like, I like the, uh, I like alternative points of view. It's fun to read. Um, well, so I love discussion and the, I, I, I absolutely adore discussion, whether that is written discussion or it's across my dining room table. It's, I thrive on it. I love it. Um, and I endeavor to be better at it. And so it's, it, it is, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, the American Gardener is a fantastic magazine. As far as I'm concerned, it's one of the best reasons for joining American Horticultural Society. It's, a, it's one of the, the things that you get for your paltry sum of $35. And um, I, it's tiny because there's also the reciprocal admissions program for gardens all over yeah. the U S and they ha and the AHS has a huge outreach all over the U S for lots and lots of programs to bring horticulture to um, underrepresented communities and to um, areas that don't tend to think about horticulture that much, as well as the rest of us who are gardening our butts off. And, um, and it's really, you know, factual stuff. So I'm a, I've always been a huge proponent of theirs. And I, I'm, I'm somewhat saddened that as a country, we're not like, yeah, you're a gardener. Of course, you're with the AHS, the way that the British are, well, the RHS is the RHS, right? Exactly. But very different organizations and they are funded very differently and funding is crucial. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, that, it is an important organization and, and the funding isn't your, like, as you said, it's just a very important piece of it. So any of my listeners who are not in the American Horticultural Society, pay up your paltry money and just get the, and get some, um, and get some of this good stuff, including Marianne's um, columns, which are wonderful. Tell us where else you write. I know Garden Rant and where else? I write uh, for Garden Rat. I've been with them for about a year and a half now, I guess. And that is that is just 100% fun. Um, sometimes it can be a little opinionated there too, but I have sure. a lot of fun with that site. It's a great group of writers. Uh, and again, that's that's sort of out of the ordinary. It's not just how to make how to grow a tomato. In fact, it's not how to grow a tomato. It's oh. why are we growing tomatoes? <laughs> it's that type of thing. Um, and uh, I, I write for my own website, Small Town Gardener, and I write at this point, I'm only writing for one um, 
newspaper. I started out as a newspaper columnist, but that genre has changed. That legacy media has has just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And so now I am writing for the Emmitsburg News Journal in Emmitsburg, Northern Maryland. Um, but that's my last newspaper that I'm writing for right now. But I started out as a as a columnist and and I'm saddened by that. I'm saddened that that that's that that has changed. Um, but you've got to roll with the punches. Yeah, you, know, you, you have to. For my listeners who aren't sure about Garden Rant, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago with Scott Berline was on it because his correspondence with Marianne on that on that blog is very amusing. Um, and, and yeah, and not and not quite all nice, sweet, sweetness and light, um, but very amusing and very informative. So gardenrant.com, there'll be a link in the show notes on lhgardens.com and my blog, and you can read up on them and be amused and informed. It's one of the oldest. I mean, for me, it was one of my first garden blogs that I ever read. And you, have you been reading it? Yeah, it's been, gosh, I, I should know exactly which year we started. 2006, I think. Am I, I maybe quoting that wrong? There are just a couple of years before my website in 2009. So the, I think they're 2006 or so. It's one of the oldest, longest running uh, websites out there. There's a ton of content on there. And from writers from all over, we yeah. actively encourage people who can write well and have a point of view on something, not just, hey, I'd like to tell you how to grow your petunias, like I said, yeah. but actually have something like a different take to to submit to us uh, so that they can be a guest ranter. And uh, it's a you get a spotlight for a day out there. Uh, it's a terrific way to show um, show the world uh, your opinion. And that you care about something particular about gardening, which I, I think is so valuable. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes also. So that's gardenrant.com. The reason that Marianne got my attention in the first place, and then I realized, oh, wait, why haven't I known about her before? Was I'm just, you know, probably going down the Jersey Turnpike, not taking my turn at driving on a wonderful visit to see the kids. And I'm reading this article called In Defensive Plants Without Press. Um, and as I said, plants aren't really articulate, so I'm glad that you stand up for them. Um, how have you done that in, in this article? It's, it's somewhat aimed at the industry, at the gardening, at, you know, I mean, well, tell us about the article. It is a little bit. It is to stand up in a lot of ways for the plants that do not have large marketing teams behind them, because the horticultural world has changed a great deal in the last particularly in the last 20 years, but even going back, there have been plant patents since the 1930s, I believe, 1930s or 40s. I mean, it's been around for a long time. Uh, The hard hitting marketing um, has not, you know, not probably been quite as hard as it has in the last 20 or 30 years. But as you know, Leslie, if you go down to the garden center, you've got all of these really cute names. And I mean, they seem to have nothing to do whatsoever with plants, you know, cotton candy and pop rocks fizz and all of these different things. And and those are all the end product of a very strong marketing campaign to get those plants in the face of consumers, not necessarily gardeners, but consumers. A lot of people just want something really pretty and workable in their yard. And as I refer to it in the article as landscape solutions, they're looking for those. And, and, and it's not a bad thing, but what happens is because of that market share, a lot of really good plants that don't have those marketing teams behind them because they are either fallen out of patent or they never had a patent in the first place, um, unless they are incredible sellers, 
then they sort of fall off of the shelves. They're no longer there and you can't get a hold of them. So it was uh, an article that was aimed at not stopping the industry of patents or, or saying it's all evil, but to recognize what we lose in this marketplace and to, as a gardener, try and preserve uh, some of these fantastic cultivars and even straight species that may just sort of not be, you know, nobody really knows about, but are really great plants. And there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. And I was very inspired. Um, You talked about a particular hydrangea that was something that you or I can't even remember a friend maybe had loved in 2013. And now it's just unfindable because there are so many better, new, wonderful hydrangeas. And I've talked about on this show before how, you know, you gardeners who are listening, if you can help, you can't change the world in terms of what you are going to be able to see at your local nursery, but you have input, you have power. You can say, Hey, I'm looking for this and I'd love to see some of that. And they want to sell plants. So don't you think that people can sort of take that on Marianne? Oh, absolutely. The more we ask, the more knowledgeable we become for what we want, rather than just going in and saying, oh, I would like a a plant that is uh, green, you know, and and fulfills. And and I say that I've actually, I was helping somebody in a garden aisle once just because I was hearing that he was having problems. And I asked him what his issue was, and he wanted something that was green and would be in his front yard. So that's the consumer, that's the landscape solution. So it's for those of you who want something beyond green, it really pays to know what it is you want and to read and to and to experience other gardens and to make notes when you go into other gardens. And so many times, and I'm, I'm guilty too, um, you move from the notepad of writing something down to go back to just taking a quick, oh, I'll just take a quick picture. And I can't even get pictures of my kids off of this phone sometimes, <laughs> much less much less some random plant I snapped in a, in a garden. So, you know, making lists of, of good plants when you're reading through a magazine, when you're reading through a book, you can find those plants, but you've got to know what you're looking for. And that exactly. usually means the botanical name, beyond just the cultivar name, there's a lot of limelights in this world and they're not all hydrangeas. So it's important to know what it is you're actually looking for. Hydrangea is one of those genera that 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 are so over overbred, in my opinion. There's just so many. There's such saturation, and every once in a while, one a really amazing one comes out that you go, "Wow, that is that is it. That fulfills all these things." And then other ones are terrible, and it's just like they're filling filling the marketplace with them. I have one. Um, I have one. I, am I allowed to say names? I, I absolutely hate right. it. Yeah, I know. Absolutely cannot stand it. Terrible, terrible hydrangea. Um, should have never been sold, but, you know, a cutesy name. And and I, I got nine of them on clearance and I, I can't stand them. You got to rip them um, out, girl. This is what it's about. I know. And you know what I did? And then I replanted them because I'm like, oh, I'll just oh. throw them into this corner. Maybe they'll do better over here. Maybe they'll do better over here. They didn't. They're they're ridiculous. They're terrible. Um, Um, But then I also have a a very fairly new one, which I will name a fantastic uh, hydrangea. Baby lace is is the trademark name, and it's a um, it's just very strong. It's paniculata. It's very strong. It's a great height. 
Uh, It's just a solid plant. I love it. And that's a new baby lace. And that's a new cultivar. I think that's from the gardener's confidence collection. So So we're not saying, we're not saying new plants are evil. We're just saying, let's remember the old ones. No, no, not at all. Because I mean, the the whole point of new plants, Alan Armitage, I quote him in the article that plant new plants are the lifeblood of the industry. People want new plants. We want new innovations. We want some things that are going to take care of like mildew resistance and, you know, other types of pest resistance and, um, and, and solve land, you know, problems. Sure. So it's good. And, you know, it's a good thing, but we can go overboard. Right. And we need to keep track of the, uh, of, of the old guys. And we'll talk about them in a minute. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. This show is made possible by Dos Amigos Landscaping and Holistic Pest Solutions. We're talking with Marianne Wilburn, who is a wonderful garden writer. And the article that got my attention was in defense of plants without press. Um, because yeah, they generally don't have advertising campaigns. Um, those ones that are that, that you know, the ones that are not being pushed by the industry. So I think we've covered that pretty well, but I did want to just make sure we talk about the concept of the pass along plant, because I'm a huge fan. My favorites are ones that just I feel like begonia grandis, you see it occasionally. Um, but it's, I think it's, it grows too tall at this time of year and nobody's ever going to see it in bloom. It's just going to be a couple of cute low leaves and you would pass by that one so easily. I think it would probably snap off and transport. So that's one that I always give to people like you might not be able to buy this, but you need it. What are some of your favorite pass along plants? Well, actually that one, Begonia Grandis is a fabulous one. And, and uh, one thing about that is you're absolutely right in the garden center. There's nothing going on in May when everybody is buying plants. If it's been kept very warm, it's just starting to emerge. So you're not going to see it. They're not really going to sell it, but that is one of my favorites. I love Alba. I'm a fan of the white one. I've got to try that. The pink one. Yeah. I I really, it's a stronger plant. I think it's beautiful. Um, Oh, goodness. I, I, you know, you'd think I would just right be right there in my head. Um, Trachlostemon uh, orientalis, gorgeous, uh, huge, large leaves, almost like a comfrey, uh, but a lot, a lot more, uh, a lot less messy, uh-huh. <laughs> a lot tidier. I love that plant. You're, you're rarely going to see it and you're not going to see it in a garden center. Um, oh gosh, I do. I do a lot of, um, I give people a lot of verbena bonariensis because again, it's sold. It's not that, you know, it's not going to be blooming. It's not going to be that fun thing that's popping out just at eye level now. Um, what else? Let's see. Um, oh, um, you know, just some old columbines that are rocking and rolling around my garden. They're always too many. I love to share them. And you have your own cultivars too that you're that are being created bred in your own in your own garden that you can give people um, for you know a lot of your plants that self seed. Uh, I love. I said in the article, uh, and I, I I love this plant. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of daylilies, so it's saying something. Is autumn minaret? Oh, that's a great one. Is, that's the tallest, latest one, right? It is. It's so late. I don't know if it's the absolute latest. I don't think that it is, but it is the stateliest. It is, you know, can get to be seven feet tall um, in term, not not the foliage, but the, the bloom. Right. And it's it's delicate. You know, it, it has a delicacy to it, an elegance to it. So people who might not like the coarseness of daylilies will find that extremely uh lovely in the middle of their late, you know, August, September, not as much as September, depending on where you are. 
yeah. uh, border in the middle there. That's a, that's a fantastic plant. And, that, and that this one. is one of the most fun things about gardening. I mean, I love to shop for plants. Do not get me wrong. The industry is not in danger from my pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I really think it's fun to share. I just love it. That that's one of the greatest things about being a gardener. It worries me in the new social media age that we are becoming so focused on, okay, what can I get off of here? What can I get off of the computer? Uh, that we forget those human connections and those human connections are what um, bring new plants into our lives in effortlessly and in a in a really wonderful, memorable way. I had a garden tour last Saturday and uh, a friend gardener came down from New Jersey with a, a absolute truck, well, not truckload, the back of his car filled one after another for me of a lot, some tropicals that I'd wanted to try that I hadn't had a chance to buy yet um, that I probably would have to really search for. Um, some temperate plants. You know, I, I ended up with a variegated ginger that I'd really, really wanted for a long time. He had it. Uh, I ended up with a variegated turmeric that I'd really wanted and he had it and a glaba, which is a different, uh, different type of ginger. Um, some ficus that I never even heard of. I need to meet your friend. I need to meet this guy. (laughs) He's fantastic. And just, and so knowledgeable about plants. That's what, that is one of the best, best things about being a gardener. You've got to get connected to other gardeners, join societies, join plant groups, you know, around you and beyond, you know, just master gardeners, join, join, join. And you'll have plant swaps. I mean, that's one of the best ways of getting uh, a plant that you've never seen before is a plant swap. Um, and you're going to, you know, there's lots of things you can take a chance with for free. You bring some of your plants, they take some of theirs and, uh, yeah, best thing about being a gardener. It really is. is, is but, that. but I would say that a close second is the shopping. I do love to, I do love to shop. <laughs> Good shop is so fun. Um, all right. So at this point I was going to get into two other articles that you wrote, but we're going to go very light on those. And maybe, maybe this is the cause for another podcast, but you also, um, it sort of harkens back to what I said. I, I don't really talk about politics, but I like how pendulum swing. And in two of the artic- other articles that I read in defense of inclusive biodiversity and in defense of lawn from last summer, which was a bit controversial. So I loved how you sort of said, hey, okay, we're all saying this and I can understand why you would, but let's look at the other side of this too. In, in, in the case of biodiversity, literally somebody, a friend of yours got shot down for including daylilies on a, on a plant list for a public project that she was putting her heart and soul into. So just really briefly, tell me about your stand on native versus non. My stand is that we need to match plants to our environment and we don't want to put a a plant that's going to be highly invasive or, you know, rampant into our landscapes, but we should not be drawing this ethnic line between plants, native or non-native, bad, good, and assigning that plants are plants and uh, they're going to respond to the right conditions and they're going to solve problems or not solve problems. And there's plenty of native plants that are not going to solve problems but I, in your yard because they're just not suited to your particular climate. Uh, but I have seen over and over again, people hear native, oh, I need native plants, I need native plants. And they end up with a garden they're not too super thrilled with just because they went with native plants 
maybe that wasn't exactly what they needed. They needed a little bit of everything. And I think a lot more research needs to be done and is starting to be done about some of these plants and how, how our wildlife is adapting to them because it takes time. You're, you know, if you're gonna have two plants next to each other, one native, one non-native, the insect population is gonna take some time to figure out how to use that plant and, 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 and work from it. It's not gonna be an instant thing that we can chart right now. Oh, look, it's bad because this, you know, there's more on this than here. This is going to take some time to see how they adapt. And in many places, a lot of insect populations are adapting. So my premise was not to just say, hey, all non-native plants are bad, because those are our lines, our chronologies that we are putting on a four and a half billion year old planet, (laughs) you know, our line in the sand, you know, whether that is a valid line or not, you have to, you know, we have a very large natural world and yes. it, it figures it out itself too. There are migration paths for plants that sometimes don't include humans. Yeah. Uh, so so. It, it figures it out slowly and perhaps outside of our understanding. I like how in your article um, you, you talked about it in a scientific way. And I, I generally read those things very quickly because that is not the way my mind works. <laughs> but in the last paragraph, you actually titled the paragraph turn gardeners on, not off. And this echoes back to a bit of a conversation that um, Scott and I touched on a couple of weeks ago. Like, you know, if people want a garden and they want that fluffy thing that may or may not attract pollinators, that's fine. Just, you know, don't give a gardener an opportunity to say, Ooh, too many rules, too many to quote you strict orthodoxies. That's no good. We just want people to garden, right? It's hard enough to get people to grow things. I mean, you know that, I know that. Um, as soon as August comes around, it's a whole different ball game for most people. And so giving them these, these very strict rules on plants that they may actually really like and which actually drew them into gardening. You know, perhaps it is that unbelievable stand of orange ditch lilies, the, the Hemrocallis fulva, that make them go, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. I want to get color in my yard. So if we immediately come at them with, well, you can't plant that. That's no good. End of story. Okay, Okay, well, I guess I'll just do the green in front of the house like I was going to do. And then there's nothing for pollinators. And I've seen enough pollinators on Hemarocallis fulva to know that something is happening there. So is it better? Is the perfect going to be the enemy of the good here? We want to engage people. We want to get them into horticulture. We want to get them gardening. And and, and you can slowly shift. Well, this could be better for right. um, your, right. po- your, your populations. Or you can add some of this, but not, oh, that's evil. That's good. Because people just can't keep that straight in their heads. No, just to, the I, idea I, of a plant is evil. I just, I, I absolutely thoroughly reject that. No, except for maybe poison ivy and English ivy. Yes. That's, that's from a very human point of view. Yes, exactly. We're wonderful. Point of view. Yeah, yeah. I mean, poison ivy is a uh, is a native to our country, right? And has beautiful fall color and all that sort of thing. Oh so, yeah, the ultimate native. Uh, uh, <laughs> make me go native scratching. Um, so I, I bottom line on that is I think you see it the way I do. I am 
I am on this podcast. I am trying to encourage myself and hopefully therefore others to, Hey, if you have a choice, let's look at some native things, but not, not to exclude your enjoyment of your garden. If you love a good hosta, you get that good hosta and you grow Mm -hmm. it well. Um, But just, you know, how about, are you thinking about a tree? How about an oak tree? You know, that kind of thing. I think uh, we need to re-examine our motivations for this type of thing. If you're starting to, to look at plants in this sort of ideological purity, um, and uh, almost with religious zealotry, I think you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I think I think you really need to to back up and see a big picture and come at it uh, maybe a little differently. I like that opinion. This is Into the Garden with Leslie. We're talking on News Radio WINA. This show is sponsored by Dos Amigos Landscaping and Holistic Pest Solutions. And our topic today is, well, variable, but we're in defensive <laughs> things, and we're having a wonderful conversation on. Um, you know, d- just a variety of things. So we so we covered your article there. We covered your your article about um, plants that get no press. We covered your article on um, biodiversity. I wanted to talk about lawn just quickly because that that was kind of controversial last summer. You wrote, and I remember reading it at the time. And of course I didn't look at your name and I should have um, just like, it doesn't have to be the perfect thing, but Hey, don't we need a place to play games? Tell us a little bit about that, right? That open space, that void space that our eyes um, and our, 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 sort of our subconscious needs to experience our space. If, if there's too much chaos, you know, and, and too much near us, it, it, it can be overwhelming. That's taking it on a completely different level. It's looking at it as a garden designer, but as a, just as a person who has a, a mixture of beds versus lawn and who took almost every square inch of lawn out of my last house, which was a small house, because I just wanted to grow a lot of plants. I didn't think lawn was evil. I just wanted to put more plants in there. But I am a ridiculously obsessed gardener. Most people are not. Most people want that open space for play, for entertaining, for that restful vision that that I'm talking about, those mass spaces versus the void spaces. Um, they want that space. And I, I remember quoting uh, Paul Tukey, who wrote the, that wonderful book on organic uh, lawn care, which I just got um, in the mail. I'm so excited to read it. Great book. And, and he says, you know, it's really difficult to, you know, play volleyball or, a, or a, a, a ball game in a meadow. And, yeah. and he's absolutely right. You're going to, you're going to lose the shuttlecock. Where the hell is it? <laughs> so you, can't, you can't play Batman in that meadow, <laughs> but I was just driving by some houses the other day. Um, that all they have is one big expanse of lawn on the left and a massive amount of mowing. And you think if it was me, I would allow that to grow up and I would have paths through it. Yes. But I would probably have part of it as an open space for entertaining. And I don't think it needs to be one or the other. It can be both. What we need to be having the discussion about, I think, is how are we taking care of that grass? How are we or how are we treating it or not treating it? How what are we planting in it? What are we watching? Is it compacted? Could we lighten it up so that it could grow the, the plants that we want? Because a, a lawn should be a, a rich mixture of many different species, not just one. Um, that's the conversation we need to be having, not lawns are evil. Right. And and again, that's that binary choice that will throw that will put people into corners. I want my lawn. You're not taking my lawn. Where's my weed and feed versus, 
oh, you mean I don't have to use as much weed and feed for my lawn? I could just mow it and, and maybe change um, the compaction of the soil and I'd have a better result. That's where we want people to be. That's where we want people to be. I agree. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm going to have, as I said, I'm going to have links to all these articles that Marianne has written. So let's move on to your books. Both topics are great. Um, a, a few years ago, you wrote Big Dreams, Small Gardens, and I read the review. I have not honestly read the book yet, but in the review, it got my attention that it said, Marianne wants you to just not worry about buying your dream house and just start gardening right now. So tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, this was a message I was so thankful uh, that I was fortunate enough to write about in book form uh, because I think it's a message everybody needs to hear because most of us are not on our dream properties for most of our lives. Uh, if, you know, when you get that dream property, you're a lot, lot older and wiser um, if, you, if you're lucky enough to. And if we cheat ourselves of gardening where we are, and trying to solve the problems that whatever that space is, because every space has limitations. If we put it off until, well, when I've got a better place, a bigger place, a different place, we cheat ourselves. We Not just of time, but I often say of a really healthy, strong, young back. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know? I would agree with that. And all of the skills that you can build and that you do build and that gardening is about, um, for years, because you never know how long you're going to be somewhere. It could be it could be three years. It could be 30 years. You really don't know. And so you've really got to get started where you are, face what the limitations of your property are and uh, start to visualize, get going and, and change some of those things that 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 keep you back in your brain, like the envy of, a, of other people's spaces and, and look at what you've got and how you have the responsibility to change that and to, and to make it better. It's um, a great message. Even if it's, even if it's containers in a balcony, right? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, my first garden was a two by 17 foot strip along in a huge parking lot in front of my little tiny 500 square foot cottagey thing. And it was up against a, like a 30 foot cinder block wall great heat great heat sink right yeah but it was it was ugly but it was so beautiful to me and it was rented accommodation now most people would have been like why are you doing that why are you you know why bother most of them were they were all my 20 something friends who were like what are you doing yeah but Um, i know what you were doing because i'm another crazy person yes and and it's worthwhile that is so worthwhile even if it's just window boxes outside of your windows they bring you a little bit of joy they change your perspective uh, about where you live and they also change other people's perspective and it, it can be very infectious i mean that's what that's what the buffalo garden walk is all about up in, in buffalo new york you've got 400 gardens that you can walk through on it you know over the course of a couple of days and that started as gardeners getting together, doing their yards up beautifully. Oh, wow, that looks great. I think I'll try that. Oh, that looks great. And now we've got a walk out of it. I mean, it's an incredible thing. And it, it shows the power of the individual to change. To change yes. and to change others' opinions. The second book that you wrote, and it's recent, is called Tropical Plants and How to Love Them. So come clean. Is, is this a dating guide? What is this? <laughs> it looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a way of remembering. 
it's a no, almost a mnemonic <laughs> device. <laughs> One of those things. Um, to help you remember all of the different ways to treat tropical plants. Uh, because it's not all the same. And a lot of people shy away from subtropical and tropical plants because they figure, oh, they're too much work. Oh, I've got to keep them alive. I don't have the space. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. But they don't realize that they could just dabble a little bit. And you may just put things into dormant storage. You may say, hey, I like using this plant indoors in the winter as a gorgeous houseplant and outdoors in the summer as a beautiful patio accent. Um, there are many different ways to use tropical plants. And so that's how I approach this to, to make it more accessible to people uh, because tropicals are a real, they're a genre. And I know this from my own experience that you can just immediately put up roadblocks if you're a temperate gardener and say, eh, I don't, eh, I don't need to learn about those. <laughs> I don't need them. I but would say, can, yeah. Yeah. My, block, my block has been there. And I'm just, one of my employees that um, at this point, by the time listeners hear this, it's um, it's Abby who would have taken over my business, which I'm about to sell as we record this. And she started out on Instagram, Abigail's plants all indoors. And I'm like, wow, I really want to learn from her. And I feel like I have. So, uh, and I will, and I will be buying your book and learning from you too. Um, Marianne, where do people find you? I know that you're not so much on social, but a little bit on Facebook and Instagram. What's your handle? Yes. Uh, at small town gardener on Instagram and the small town gardener on Facebook. And I try to limit it to do those two, two platforms just to keep me sane and, and be able to have time to actually garden, which yes. <laughs> takes up a huge amount important. of space. It's kind it of is. You got to do the work sanity. you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. And, and because you want to, um, she also, Marianne has a really attractive website that may, made me envious. I mean, that's what gardening's about too, is envy, right? Um, so I loved your website and uh, you do a monthly newsletter. Is that correct? I do. I send out uh, new articles. Uh, you can subscribe to the website, new articles go out there. I do this month's garden. I think I'm behind for August. In fact, I know I am, but usually yeah, that happens. to give you for, to give you an idea of the garden, especially if you're in the mid-Atlantic of what the things to do right now. And it's not all, it's not all the time. So it's not going to inundate your, your, uh, your inbox. I know we all have very full inboxes and we're deleting all the time, but hopefully it's just enough to get you encouraged and moving forward. I am regularly posting on garden rant as well. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to have links to all of that. I did a little bait and switch with you. I'm like, come talk to me about this one article. And then we covered all these topics. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you, Leslie. It was really a pleasure. It was just uh, real fun to meet you and, and, uh, and chat everything plants. Well, good. Well, we'll, I think we covered a few things lately. We'll have to go back. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA, brought to you by Dos Amigos Landscaping and Holistic Pest Solutions. And next, we'll be talking about what to do in your garden right now, the playlist, because it's always fun to play in your garden. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. It's time for the playlist, weekly practical information on what to do in your garden right now. Okay, that was kind of redonkulous. I could have chatted with Marianne all day. Sorry, this is going to be a long podcast. I just couldn't edit any of it. I really like talking with her. I have all the links to her site, her books, and the American Horticulture Society on lhgardens.com in my blog. Questions from listeners. All right, I got an interesting one from a listener about a stonemason's hammer. You know, the type that Andy Dufresne wore to nubbins over the decades, tapping behind various posters of scantily clad young ladies in the Shawshank Redemption. 
I thought that was very novel, using a stonemason's hammer to do some heavy digging if you're already down on your knees. I mean, if I were up, I would use either my big shovel, or if it's really tough, I would use my dig stick or a mattock. But if you're already down on your knees, it might, it might be a great idea if your soil is, is rocky or if, if it's really tough. I do have in my possession, but I haven't used it much since early days here at this garden, a hand trench digger that was issued to my son when he was in the Marine Corps. Like I said, my soil now is good, and if I'm on my knees, my soil knife does the whole trick. John on Instagram had a really good idea for, for poor soil on, or rocks. You may want to give it a try, but I hope for your sake that your soil is better than that. The playlist of garden things, well, I'm going to concentrate on one thing because I have been most remiss. Here is an item I should have put on the playlist every week starting about a month ago. You've got to order bulbs. I mean, now. Little packages of spring. Spring bulbs are hope in the form of a little brown golf ball thingy, and you need to get them, and they're running out of the good ones. You may have your own sources, but I love color blends. The catalog first got my attention when I first started my business, and besides all the drool-worthy photographs that you find in every bulb catalog, the fact that they put together collections or blends for you, and by the way, I've noticed that other bulb purveyors have totally borrowed that really good idea in years since, the highest form of flattery and all that, Color Blends uses plain English to talk about which bulbs do what, where, and how well, and when. And you can search their site for bloom time, for critter resistance, for color. It's a really good site. Another really good one is Brent and Becky's. I was listening to the Joe Gardner podcast this past weekend, and he interviewed Brent of Brent and Becky the other day, and it made me stop my gardening immediately and order my bulbs because his immediate message was the one that I'm giving you now. Go order your bulbs. I realized that I have been criminally negligent, and I do apologize for not doing that before. They were out of a bunch of things that I wanted on color blends, but the good news is that that makes me try things that I haven't tried before. I picked out a white daffodil. I was going after Thalia, but I picked out one called Watch Up. You know how dahlias are all shy with their heads pointing down like they're looking at their iPhones or something? On this one called Watch Up, the little head points up, which I think will be very cheerful. So what to listen to? I think you should listen to that episode of Joe Gardner, and there's a link to it on my show notes. It's episode number 224 of of the Joe Gardner podcast. That's Joe Lample, you know. I recommended him before. Brent has a ton of great planting information. Here are some good reminders that I liked if you don't feel like listening to that whole podcast. Number one, order now. Number two, don't forget that you can plant in pots, and that's a particularly good option if you don't think that you can grow tulips, say, or other things that are not deer resistant. Just put them right on your front porch. I bet you the deer won't be that bold. Plant your bulbs among perennials so that you don't have to suffer the foliage as it ripens quite as much as you would have to. You know, you got to let it brown off so that it feeds the bulb for the next year. That was number three. Number four, you really have to plant in full sun if you want flowers to perennialize. And both Brent and Becky and Color Blends make no secret, unlike some catalogs that try to fool you, that your heart will never be broken if you treat tulips as annuals. And your heart will be brimming if indeed they do come back. And by the way, if you really do treat tulips as annuals and you plant them and then they go past, doesn't that mean you don't have to wait for the foliage to ripen? Happy day. All right, this was fun. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out to me on Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH or go to my website, lhgardens.com. So this week, if you like this episode enough to want me to do another kind of solid, just sign up for my newsletter on lhgardens.com if you haven't already. It only comes out once a month, so it's not going to clog up your inbox, and it has some really good information on it. 
And I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I'm really into my garden and I'm into spring bulbs and you should go order. I'll see you next week.